bloke, Nick. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Great. I'm here with David Parker, uh, girls director at uh, Marietta Surf as well. Um, is it more? Um, obviously, you're over in Australia. What time is it over there in Australia, where you are at the moment? It's uh, 6.30 a.m., so I'm, all, I'm normally up around 6 with the, with the kids anyway, so... That's great. That's, so that's great. Good. Now, we really appreciate you being um, being here with us, and uh, we're obviously on live Instagram with the club, and uh, we've got a lot of players and parents and uh, people watching and... Uh, listening to us uh, this morning, or this afternoon, sorry, so um, so we, um, we'll crack on with our first question, uh, Nick, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, well, obviously, I've just, we've just had a question in actually from one of our players and uh, he wanted to know, obviously, I'm, I'm, we know obviously your record, you've been at Sheffield United, you was there, is that right, and you're saying you was there for about 12 years? Yeah, about 14 years, yeah, in total, before I, uh, before I left. Yeah, okay, and he's asking, is that, is that the... Is that the first club you went to? Is that the only club, you, you know, you just you started there as a, obviously a young player, and uh, you know, is that the only club you've 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 played for in the in the Premier League? He wants to know. And uh, did yeah, you so did you ever have any aspirations? Did you want to go and move, or did you have any aspirations of playing for a, you know, maybe a um, a, a different club, or a, you know, a, a more probably what's the word I'm looking for, a, a high-profile club maybe. Uh, look, just, just a quick snapshot of my career. Um, I left school at 16 um, and I went to Sheffield United, but previous to that I was at Leeds United for five years from when I was 10 till I was 15. And yeah, around the age when I was leaving school, I had the opportunity to, to sign for Sheffield United on a two-year scholarship. And yeah, I took that, I grabbed that with both hands and from that point on, um, I broke in at the first team at 18 years old and had a fantastic time there for 14 years. Uh, we, you know, we we had a fantastic uh, team at, at times. We got promoted to the Premier League, played in the semi-final of the League Cup, uh, no, the FA Cup, and had promotions, had relegations, had had good times and bad times. But to answer the question, I had many opportunities to to leave the club and. Go back to my hometown club, Leeds, yeah. quite a few occasions, as yeah. well as uh, down down to London to Crystal Palace and, and Cardiff. So yeah, I did have I had the opportunity to leave, but you know, I was always happy there. I was always uh, you know a loyal player. I enjoyed my time there, and yeah, each time the opportunity came to leave, I, I, you know, the club wanted me to stay, the manager wanted me to stay. So yeah, I ended up staying for 14 years, which is uh, pretty unheard of nowadays. No, it is. That's right. That's that's great. Did you? Where was the first? What's your first soccer memory, um, Nick? Did you? How when did you just? One of our players was when did you first start playing? Uh, what can you remember about the early days? I reckon I was about 10 years old. I didn't have anyone in my family that, that was into soccer or football. Um, I just remember starting to kick a ball around as a young kid and just really, really enjoying it. And, you know, when you start them games with your friends, you know, when, when you're younger, it's, it's, it's all fun. And, you know, you just, you just want to be out there kicking a ball around. And, yeah, my first memories of that was that. Yeah. And I just always remember just, just out in the in the street kicking a ball against the wall, you know, constantly and driving the neighbours crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was just something that I became obsessed with at a young age. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, Nick. Yeah, and we've got uh, we've got Sean Derry actually uh, watching us on Instagram live here. Um, so he said he's had some fantastic battles with you over the years. But he said, who was the toughest opponent that you faced during your career? Oh, Des, oh, look, Des, the top guy. You know, I joined the club there. He was an experienced player. He obviously moved on and had a fantastic career. 
playing in the Premier League. But yeah, Des, Des was always a, a tough character, so there's no doubt that I learned some of my, you know, some of my attacking skills from people like Sean Derry. But no, look, if I was to go on, um, he was a, the, the toughest opponent. I think playing against wise was probably Steven Gerrard. Uh, you know, you you guys will know him over there. He spent a little bit of time in America, but back in his day when he was, you know, when he was one of the best midfielders in the world, uh, he just used to stride around the field so easily. Uh, his range of passing was brilliant, and you now he's just a, he was just a top player. But I think if you're going to go on one of the hardest players you've ever played against in terms of physically, um, I remember being I think I was 18 years old, played at Sunderland. And there's a guy called Kevin Ball. Uh, he was yeah. a, a real hard man, and I just remember standing in the tunnel uh, and seeing his <laughs> his metal studs just scraping on the concrete. <laughs> uh, the first time I tackled him, I think his words to me were, "If you do that again, son, I'm going to break your legs." Um, and <laughs> yeah. that point, I thought, oh, I'll be "Welcome to uh, welcome to senior football." So yeah. he was a bit of a, a, a crazy guy. Yeah. Um, of, of my career, I was obviously fortunate to play against some of the some of the best players in the world so yeah very privileged that's great yeah I'm gonna say through so I mean through your career and your journey I mean you've obviously probably played in played with lots of different managers and coaches but who are the people that kind of like really made a big impact on you personally with your development and kind of like things that you remember from the coaches of kind of like really pushing you on and made a difference in your career Oh, look, I think that goes back to youth team, and you know Steve Miles is over there with you guys, which is which is brilliant. And you know, I always remember Steve and Russell Slade when I was in the uh, when I was in the academy. And you know, for me, that's when you really learn your values. And you know, yeah. people will always tell you, you know, how you can make it in any professional sport, but I think it, it will never change. It will always be the dedication, the hard work. You know the, the sacrifice. You know pe- people repeat it a lot, yeah. um, but the reason they do that is because it's true. And there was a lot better players than me when I was sort of 16, 17 years old. But you know, for whatever reason, they, they didn't have the hunger and the desire that I had. Um, and really, that dream and, and that belief that I could make it to the top. And um, you know, along the way, you have different coaches and managers, and um, you, you tend to take little bits from each of them. But for me, Neil Warnock gave gave me my debut, and you know, for me, he was a he was a manager that is a bit of a crazy genius. He's had more clubs promoted to the Premier League than 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 many. And Sean Derry, who's listening, he'll know a lot about um, a lot about uh, Neil Warnock. Uh, he was an honest guy. He was a bit crazy at times, but you know he was desperate to win, and that was infectious. And the way he was, he was desperate to win. You know that that goes on to the playing group, and I think as a coach, uh, which I am now, I think putting the right group of players together and and really creating that culture where you go out every weekend, and as soon as you step on that field, you you know you're fighting for each other. Yeah. You want to win the game, and and you know you, you're there for you're there for your teammates and. Yeah, on top of that, you know, I had some good coaches: Brian Robson, Kevin Blackwell. Um, you know, quite, quite a lot of uh, coaches throughout my uh, Sheffield United career. Some good, some bad, and I think if you can take a little bit of the good out of everybody, then that can really mould you as a player and a person. I've got, a, I've got a question here, um, Monty, from Steve Miles. Um, he, he wants to know if you've ever forgiven him for leaving you out of the Youth Cup versus Arsenal. <laughs> 
No, the answer to that is no. <laughs> uh, but Steve will tell you, look, Steve will tell you, and anyone listening out there, uh, you know, if you've had bad injuries and you've had uh, some bad times, then don't give up because I left school at 16. When I was 17, in my first year of scholarship, I broke my ankle. So I spent about seven months rehabbing that. It was uh, quite badly quite badly broke and dislocated and uh, I think two operations later, later I finally got back playing and then my second year uh, my second year scholarship I ended up in hospital with meningitis so I really did have a, a sort of tough time over the first two years there and that's really the time that, that you know when you get into professional football after school you know you really need them two years to catapult you into the first team um, yeah. so my, my two years were really really hampered yeah. Steve will tell you I worked ridiculously hard to get back uh, fully fit from both injuries, and yeah, yeah. Like everybody, you have you have disappointments in your career, and I just remember we, you know, we played Arsenal in the in the FA Youth Cup, and everybody's desperate to play. Um, you know, when you're when you're a young kid playing against the big teams, and in the in the FA Youth Cup is you know, it's like the it's like the best thing you can do. Um, and yeah, like like everybody, I wanted to play and. Steve made the decision at the time that I'd been out injured or sick for for too long. I wasn't ready, so. But you know, I, <laughs> I tell Steve I never forget, forgive him. But you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's there's things like that throughout your career that really drive you on because that just made me more and more desperate to prove everybody wrong and and, and get myself back. And I think fully fit and breaking at the first team. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think that's a real good message again for for the you know young players watching. About, I mean, one of my players who I spoke to this morning. Um, in our under, uh, sorry, our 08 uh, DA team over here, he wanted to know what kind of obstacles uh, spring to mind that you've been through as a young player. I mean, I know you've just obviously mentioned two or three or four there, and uh, it's great to say that you know you've had that mentality of thinking I'm going to prove you wrong. You know, you had that mentality as a young player to think, well, they just these just drove you on. So um, you know, is this? Have you got any more experiences on things you was told as a young child or told throughout your career where you thought? I'm going, to show, I'm going to prove you wrong and your obstacles you've come across. Yeah, well, like I said then, I think, I think in, in any sport, if you read anybody's story, uh, you know, you don't have to look at Lionel Messi, he was told he was too small to be a footballer. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, you know, really do come through adversity to, 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 to prove people wrong. You know, I wasn't the most talented footballer in the world, technically, um, but I knew that, you know, no one, uh, no one had more desire and more heart than I had and, um, I suppose what you what you do in in any professional sport is when you know your strengths, you know you really work on your strengths because that's what defines you as a player. And I think it's it's great it's great that academies like yourselves, you know, you really work work on from a young age, you know, the technical, tactical, the mental side of football. And yeah. you'll see as as the players get older, you know, they sort of mould themselves into. If they're a winger, if they're a centre back, if they're a you know centre midfielder, um, and as a coach you see that, and then you know what strengths do they have, and can you work on them strengths? Um, but like I said, in, in terms of, of setbacks, it's normal. Everybody has setbacks. You know, when you get left out of the team, it's hard. Uh, when you're injured, it's 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 hard. You know, everybody will tell you when you're injured, it's a lonely place. Yeah. Um, and you know we're you know, we're all in lockdown at the minute, and. It's sort of you know, a good time, and I always I always use injuries as a, a you know how can I make this a positive experience? And you know what I would do is work on work on my upper body strength. I had the lower body injury that you couldn't run. You know yeah. when I broke my ankle, I thought 
this is a great opportunity. I'm going to work on my upper body strength. Yeah. You know, and, and really try and improve you as a as a player. Um, and I think them them you know them experiences that you have you know, really um, make you more resilient and robust, so that you know you can deal with 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 uh, disappointment. And you know, some players are lucky that they you know they don't really get many injuries or or um, you know bad things happen during their career but yeah. I think when it does um, when it does it's all about uh, you know, keeping that belief in yourself and, uh, and making sure that you focus for when you do come back to be the best best you can be and, um, yeah I really do think you know, uh, adversity and, and challenges mould you as a player and a person and, and make you the, the person that you are yeah, so, yeah, and it's, yeah it's just, I was just thinking, Nick, when you were talking about uh, Steve in terms of the FA Youth Cup um, game against Arsenal, I was thinking, um, when, it's funny how kind of like sport and football comes full circle sometimes, and just thinking, you'd have played, uh, I'm not sure if I'm right, but you'd have played against Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final when Dave Seaman made one of the greatest saves of all time, I'm guessing you would have played in that game, so I'm guessing that would have been a couple of years later, and funny how can, like, things come full circle. Um, if you put the dedication and the reward, and you get the uh, rewards from there. Yeah, you, you know, you're spot on with what you said there. It, it, it was like quite funny actually. We seem to get Arsenal um, nearly every season for three, three or four seasons. We used to get Arsenal yeah. in the FA Cup. Yeah, uh, we had some fantastic battles with them. I remember losing a Bramall Lane on penalties. Uh, but yeah, I just remember playing against Vieira and Burkamp and, and, and all the you know, the world class players and. Um, it was. I did actually think back to that time when I sat on the bench in the Youth Cup, and you know, it just made it all, all the more sweeter. Um, but I mean, yeah, just just talking about that semi-final. It was uh, it was a season that we got to two semi-finals. We got to the playoff final, and yeah, I just remember. Uh, I, I was actually talking to someone last week. I did another podcast uh, with, a, with a Sheffield United fan, and I just remember that game and. I think Wayne Allison, our striker, was sort of tackled by the referee on the halfway line. Yeah. Arsenal yeah. went up the other end, and, and Freddie Lundberg scored the goal, and that yeah. that that was a goal that uh, we lost the semi-final on. And with the VAR now, if that would have happened, um, you know, it hit the referee, then went in in the way of the opposition, and from that they scored. And you're looking back now, and you know, if the VAR would have been in then, that would have been stopped. Yeah. It would have been a, a, a drop ball for us. Um, but you know um, that that was the goal that, that that stopped us having an appearance in the FA Cup final, which was always a dream of most kids growing up in England. So you know, that that was disappointing. And yeah, you talk about David Seaman's save. I'll always remember. Um, yeah. I was about five yards away from that uh, when Pesky Salido headed the ball, and just somehow he managed to sort of bend his body backwards and, and scoop the ball out of the goal. Just just uh, you know, probably did go over the line again, but. With no uh, technology back in them days, um, yeah. it went down as as David Seaman's best save. And a little story on the back of that, he uh, he swapped shirts with Paddy Kenny after that game. Um, and then I think it was about uh, two weeks later that Paddy received a, um, a letter from Arsenal and David Seaman just saying, uh, uh, "Hope you well, Paddy. Um, just so you know, that was uh, my best save I've ever made. Uh, could I please have the shirt back?" <laughs> so I remember Paddy reading it out, and the boys, the boys were just cracking up. Wow! But that nah, he did send, uh, he did send Paddy some gloves and, and another shirt. But wow. the, the sentiment that he wanted to keep was, yeah, was from that game and that uh, and and that and that shirt because it was, you know, like you say, it went down as the best save in his career, and of course, uh, it was yeah. a it was a funny story. Wow.
That's great. That's great. Yeah, I'm going to say Sean Derry with another question for you, Nick. And he's going in. In your view, he's going to say, what's the importance of reliability in a player's character? So probably from a more of a coaching side now. Oh, it's a great question, and like you said, Des is a, is a top coach now. I know he's working with the with the academy boys at, at Crystal Palace, and I think he'll tell you as as a coach, and uh, you know, me and Des were were similar players. He was probably better than me. Um, but the fact of the matter is, when you're a coach, you want players that you can rely on. Uh, and I think, you know, a saying that I always like to have as a coach is, you know, for me, it, the more the more high output, low maintenance players that you can have in a team, and, and by by that I mean players that will give you a high output every week, but they're actually low maintenance. You know, you don't have to worry about them in training. They'll train hard. You know, they'll work hard. If you give them tactical instructions, they can. You know, they'll take them on board and listen to you. Um, but you know, on the other hand, you do have special players that can win you the game on on the drop of a hat, and sometimes they're a little bit out of the box. So. I think when you have them plays, it's about managing them and, and, and understanding them as a as a as a person. Um, but yeah, I think you know, the, the more plays that you can have in a team, like you know what they're going to give you every week, you don't have to worry about. And um, I think that's you know as a coach, that's that's something that you want in, in the majority of your players. And I think again, as a coach, that's that's probably your biggest job is finding them players, molding them into what you want, and and, and putting them into a team that's that's competitive and that knows how to win games. Of course, you know, um, and obviously you you gone to obviously coaching from playing you and going to coaching. How did that come about? And was the transition easy for you to, from being a player to going to a coach? Well, similar to similar, similar to Desert. I you know I've been a captain at, at Sheffield United. Yeah. I moved out to Australia, which was a, the second club, and I became captain here. Uh, had a really successful time in the early days. Um, I, no, I just think. You know, when when people see you as a leader, um, you know, and knowing that that what it took me to become a professional footballer, I think there's a lot of traits there that are sort of natural for for going into coaching. And I always remember people saying to me, you know, you'll be a good coach. Um, and I look back on when I was playing at Sheffield United, and you know, we had young players come through, you know, like Harry Maguire, who's you know now captain of Manchester United, yeah. Kyle Walker, who's you know, obviously in England. Manchester City, um, you know, legend, uh, and and there's young players there that I remember sort of mentoring as a as an older player and you know looking after them, you know, giving them advice, and and I look back now and think, wow, these these two players have gone on to the you know the greatest heights you could ever uh, ever go to in football. So I think you know naturally, I, I you know one of my strengths was sort of identifying players, and yeah. I always remember saying to Carl Walker. You know, the story was I was in the first team at Sheffield United, and we had a couple of injuries one season. And Kyle had been on loan at Northampton Town, which is a a low league club in England. And I remember at the time we we were sort of struggling for players, and um, he came back and he was training. And I remember saying to the the manager at the time, which was Kevin Blackwell, I remember saying, "Look, you know, he's ready. You know, I've never seen a kid that that was as quick as him. You know, he could make a mistake and recover in a split second, but." Talking to Kyle, you know, he wasn't the most confident. He wasn't the most confident player, but I just remember saying to him, "Look, if you carry on, Kyle, and then you keep working hard, you'll, you'll play for England because he was that good." But he didn't actually see it. Um, so I think, you know, for me, towards the end of my playing career, I started doing the coaching badges probably around 
30, 31 years old because I could see the end coming. Yeah. Um, and it was just it was just sort of natural and I started the coaching and to be honest, you know, Des will tell you, it really does open your eyes up because you know, as a player at the top level, you turn up to training every day, your kit's out, it's washed, you finish training, you have your lunch, you know, the bus arrives at this time. Your whole life is sort of scheduled for you. Yeah. And, and, and you, you know, it, people will tell you, and probably the hardest thing when you finish playing is coming out of that box and all of a sudden you don't have a schedule running your life and, um, you know, you don't have people telling you when to eat and what to eat and it, it, it's a really strange feeling but I think for me going into coaching, I just felt that, you know, there's some things as a player I, I, I liked, some, some things I would have changed and I thought, you know, it's my opportunity now to to go in and, and help develop some young players and, uh, you know, tactically I, I'd learned a lot over my time. Um, yeah. It's quite funny, but I actually learned more tactically in Australia than I did in, in, in the UK for 14 years because it's so competitive in, in England um, but, and there's so many games. It's it's actually, you know, Des will tell you as well, you're on the training ground, you've got three games a week, you've got a league game, a cup game and, and back to a league game. So a lot of the time you're sort of recovering from, from one game and you're sort of prepping a little bit for the next game but you know momentum carries you through the season at times when you start winning games and yeah. oppositely when you start losing games it's it's tough as well because games come thick and fast fast but moving to australia um you know the guy that signed me is actually the national team coach now of australia got a guy called graham arnold and I just thought tactically, because it was only one game a week, uh, there was a lot more tactical sessions throughout the week. And yeah. when you're playing in heat, which you guys do as well, yeah. you know you have to keep the ball. If you're gonna, if it's going to become a game of transition, you're going to be turning the ball over because it's 100 miles an hour. Then if you're not ridiculously fit and strong, you know most of the time the team that is with a little bit more quality is going to win the game. Whereas tactically, um, you know, it, it, if you're working more tactically and you have a game plan. Um, and you work on it and, and, and then on the weekend you execute that game plan you know most of the time it is tactical so I learned a lot more tactically here uh, I played in the Asian Champions League so we played in uh, Japan Korea China you know places where football is also an obsession to as it is in the UK but I think in Australia there's so many sports it's um, that's not the number one sport that's traditional in the, in the country um, so yeah it's, you know you talk about pressure and again you know Sean, Sean's listening to this the pressure of playing in England is, is immense whereas I used to say to the boys here when I was playing that this is not pressure mm -hmm. the fans come to the game to enjoy it mm -hmm. they'll clap you off at the end when you lose but in England you know you hear stories and I saw them in my own eyes that sometimes the team's not performing the fans you know, the fans work all week to, to go to the game on the weekend. So if you don't perform or you don't put a bad performance in or show a bad attitude, you know, the fans will, will let you know on the pitch and, and at times they'll, they'll they'll come to your car after. You know, f thankfully it never happened to me. Um, but I did see, you know, players that did get a, a lot of stick from, from fans and, yeah. you know, the pressure there is massive. So, yeah, yeah that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's sort of why I got into coaching as well, just because... You know the experiences that I had as, had as a player to be able to pass them on to, to, to young players like the guys listening tonight. That's right. And what do you? Um, I, 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 this question could go a while, but what do you look for in a young player? Or what qualities do you think, Monty? That um, I, I know maybe a bit of everything, but what should young players be working on? You know, is it? Did you look for kids with tactical awareness or technical ability, or is it actually an attitude to want to 
to learn is it caring what they do what kind of main qualities do you look for in, in young players I think like you said for, for me forget the tactical the technical stuff when when, when you're looking at, at a young player you know, especially a young player that's got plenty of time to to learn and grow you know for me I always look for the same thing and that's the attitude the heart you know when he loses the ball how does he react yeah. You know, if if his teammate loses a ball, you know, how does he react to him? And I think you know it's, pr- it's pretty easy by watching watching someone for for you know a short while. You can really see what what sort of player and person they are. But you know, saying that, it's you know I, I have watched players that that I've actually watched the game and said, wow, this 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 is a, a good player here. I really like him. Uh, you try and bring him to the club, but you know you either realise that his attitude stinks and he doesn't fit in the group. Yeah. Um, and realise that you know what is actually not the not the player that that, that you want, um, but that's only after you try to change him. And you know if he doesn't want to listen, um, yeah. you know he doesn't want to learn, then then you have a problem. Uh, but I think most players do. So again, the, you know the the, the technical uh, gifted players sometimes they've never had any leadership, they've never had any guidance, and they've been allowed to just you know go on the pitch and do their own thing because they're a good player. Yeah. But I think as you get older. It becomes more of a team game. So if you're not willing to, if you're not willing to buy into, you know, what the coach wants and, and buy into the culture of the team and, and, and be a team player, then you'll quickly find yourself one of them players that everybody says, "Wow, remember that kid? You know, he should have made it." Um, but yeah. I wonder why he didn't make it. And you know, there's there's probably millions of kids in every sport out there that that would be, uh, you know, sitting in the pub or sitting in the stand every weekend saying, "You know, I should be out there. I'm better than him. Yeah. You know, I was a better player than him." But there's always a reason why they never make it, and, and, it, and it's always the same one. And for me, attitude, desire, discipline—you know—all the things that people talk about. Without them, it really is it really is hard to, 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 to go on and sustain a career um, and, and have longevity in a career. Yeah, and that's great advice for players. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's it. I mean, obviously, with you being based in Australia, I mean, obviously, from I suppose Australia and the US are similar that soccer is not necessarily the top sport, uh, but it's obviously getting very close to that top two or three or one position now with attendances and broadcast views. I mean, what do you see the difference between in the mentality and the culture from Australia um, and comparing that to the UK in terms of the players and then also the staff and how the game's treated? Look, like you said, guys, it's very similar to the US. And, you know, for me, I coached under 23s and under 20 team here. Um, and, you know, up until up until uh, the sort of last, the top 20 players that, that are in each uh, A-League academy, everybody underneath, their parents have to pay for them to be in the academy. And it's just the way the system is. I think that as a young, uh, as a young player, um, you know, your parents will pay for you to be in the academy. Whereas the difference is in in the UK, you go out and you know you you identify players, you try and bring bring them into the academies. But I think it, you know it's a different generation. Uh, I think in Australia the kids do get very easy. Um, you know, they, it's a beautiful country. The weather's nice. Um, you know, the parents uh, obviously you know have good jobs. They look after them, um, and I just don't think a lot of them have that drive. It's it's sort of too easy to, you know, sort of too easy to to be a footballer um, up until obviously the elite level where everything changes. Uh, but in England, it's, you know, I, I do say the boys here, boys, you have to understand that, you know, 
if you're in, in Europe or in England, which is where a lot of players all over the world want to play, they see the Premier League, they see the Championship, and you know, that's their desire to go to Europe. Um, but I sort of explained to him here that understand here you have probably one or two players that are pushing you uh, to try and get your position. But you go to Europe, there's there is so many kids that as soon as you have a bad game, they they want to take your shirt off you and. It's just so much more competitive, and I think that breeds, you know, that 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 breeds competitiveness. Whereas here, it's a little bit easy. You know, you have a squad of of, of I think we have a squad in the under twenty ones of about fourteen, fifteen players, um, and then you have the obviously the under twenties, eighteens. Um, so you know, you, you don't really have that 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 life or death. Um, I say life or death is not life or death, but. <laughs> Where people think, you know, what I need to be a footballer, I want to be a footballer. Yeah. You know, here it's life is a little bit too easy, and I think that's a, a big issue. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on, Nick. I mean, the way that the culture is, it is. I mean, it's it's an affluent sport, and it is everything's given people a little bit too easy and don't understand what it is like back home and you talk about I know you went on loan to Millwall for a little while and I think trying to describe Millwall and what it's like to play down there and the environment I don't think anyone could comprehend it um, unless you've experienced it and I know when he used to take the um, the academy uh, kids down there he was like every year I'd make an absolute statement of we are going to go play Millwall away and like, well, I mean, we're from Midlands, Birmingham, we had inner city kids and a bit of a mixture, but they obviously have it a, a little bit easier uh, than the, the kids down at Millwall. But we made it an absolute statement that we'd go there every single year, long journey down there on the bus and to, to go see those kids and what it's like to fight and scrap for things. And I think, like you say, if you don't experience that or have someone trying to describe it to you or have that different mentality of what it's like to really fight your way whether it be out of poverty or knowing that's your only opportunity to push on in life it gives you a bit of something different and i think that there is something missing whether it be here in the us or like you say if australia is so similar that it, you need to develop that in some sort of culture in terms of the group of how you've got to push on and get through that yeah i mean look you, you only have to look at brazil and i've been fortunate i've visited rio de janeiro um a long time ago but if you look at Brazil, when you land in land in the airport, it has the you know the value of the amount of players that have come out of Brazil, and it's actually scary. And you know we all know the the world class Brazilian players, but there is so many Brazilians playing professional football, albeit being in the UK, in, in Europe, in Hong Kong, in Asia, in China, and it's for me when you go there and you see the. You know, you see how they start football, and you know it becomes for them. It's a way out, and it's a way for them to 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 you know financially look after their family, to get them out of living in a shed. Um, and uh, you know that that's a story. And, you know, for me, that that all comes with that hunger, and that desire, and, and that's why Brazil produces the best players in the world. And has probably you know financially as a country uh, produce more players than anywhere in the world. And that's mostly that they come from poverty. It's not always the case. You know, you do get people that come from good families that, you know, that love football, that really want to, you know, to, to make a career out of football. But I think when you've got that little bit more hunger and, you know, it's a way out for you. Um, and it's not just in football, in, in, in all different sports and, and different steps of life. If, if you really have got something to fight for, um, it's amazing. It's amazing how the human brain can just really, you know, focus on one thing and, Nothing can stand in your way, but again, none of that comes without sacrifice. Um, you know, for me, sacrifice and 
and, and doing the right things and, and giving yourself every opportunity to, to reach whatever level you want to reach um, or whatever level is, is your highest level. Um, you know, you really do have to sacrifice a lot of stuff. I think it's interesting, you know, speaking about the culture, and I've got family, my wife and family are from uh, Sunderland in, in England and uh, there's a show on Netflix at the moment which I probably would recommend to our younger uh, a younger yeah, player yeah. because it's, there's a lot of expletives on there, and that, but you do see, you get a sense of the kind of culture in the northeast of England, and you know how much soccer football means to the people of England, and it's that you can see the the passion and the the anger when the team loses, and it's not, and I've obviously been up there a number of times to visit family and my wife's family, and uh, it's a literally, I tell people, it's a topic of conversation. Um, when you go out on a night out up there with the, the, the boys or the girl, even the wives will go out for you know a meal and stuff, and they'll be talking about football and soccer. They'll be talking about the game and what happened on Saturday and what players they should be bringing into the club and why is the chairman not bringing him in and why is the manager making? And it's just it's just the light way of life. And I think it's from that documentary you do get a sense of how much it means to certain towns and cities. Of the, it's a, it's you know it's a it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal in a lot of places. 100%. I mean, look, look at English football. It's, you know, the Premier League's the best league in the world. You know, it's the most televised league in the world. But you, know, you, you talk about teams like Sunderland, and, you know, they, these are massive clubs that have been in the Premier League. And, it's, you know, you look at your, your glitzy clubs like your Chelsea and your Manchester United. You know, most, uh, you know, a lot of fans that do go and watch them games are not actually from Manchester. They're not from London. Yeah. You know, they're just wealthy people that, that love the sport. Um, whereas... You know, uh, even Sheffield United, you know, this working-class city where a lot of people have grown up, you know, their granddad passed, took them to the games and they're now taking their kids to the games. It becomes a way of life. And yeah. I think you really do feel that when you play for a club like Sheffield United, like Sunderland, uh, you know, the fans work hard all week and, you know, they spend a lot of money and their, their way out is, is on a weekend. If you win the game, you know, the next week they're... They're buzzing there, talking to their friends. Whereas if you lose the game, yeah. you know, if you lose the game as a player, you feel like you've let them down. Um, so, you know, that that's the way they live their life, and you know, the 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 born and bred, of, you know, a football fan, and that club means everything to it them. Does. And yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, you know, it's you talk about Sunderland teams that have been at the top and, and dropped down. It's it's a massive financial impact for the for the city and the region as well. So a lot of businesses are affected. Uh, you know, when when you're playing in a Premier League. Like Desiree knows, listening to this, wherever you go, it's, there's, there's thousands of people, you know, every game's a sellout. So, you know, by being in the Premier League, um, you know, productivity of that city sorry, is going up sorry every weekend. Yeah, sorry, Nick, to interrupt, but we're going to lose our Instagram feed we'll in go, five we'll seconds. Go, we'll go straight back on yeah, it again, though. We'll come straight back on it for, yeah, just to finish yeah. off. Hi guys, yeah, so we're, we're back up and running and live, uh, live again, so um, yeah, Instagram just kicked us off, I think we've been up to our quota time, so yeah, we're back up and running, so sorry Nick, you can carry on. No problem, just uh, finishing on, on then, on, on, on the Sunderland thing, just saying that, yes. you know, being in the Premier League, Premier League, the amount of fans and exposure that you get as a, as a city, uh, you know, it's, you know, financially, it does bring a lot to, to this, to, you know, to the city, so when you, you know, you have a tough time and like Sunderland get relegated through the leagues, it does have a massive impact on, on you know, on, on the city financially and, and the fans as well. So it really does mean a lot to them. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. And I think that's something people that don't see over here, whether because it, it's uh, it's franchise based over here, whether it's NFL or Major League Baseball and MLS as well. That with it being franchise based, if you have a bad season, people kind of they get halfway through the year or two thirds way through, and it kind of becomes a little bit less important that they're kind of planning for next year already. Whereas back home and across the leagues in Europe, that you're fighting and scrapping for survival, and I suppose what people. I mean, don't understand here is that if you're in a relegation battle, that's affecting your contract, it's affecting affecting your mortgage and your livelihood. If you're at a contract that summer or you might have to move because the club can't afford you and you've got to kind of move around, that it affects obviously the individuals which are working at that club, but then the industry around the town as well. And I think it's huge for footballers who have been in that relegation battle knowing, I mean, Matt was speaking the other day about one, uh, one season he had in terms of relegation that it just can turn your whole life upside down uh, just as a footballer and as a club as well yeah for sure you know like you said then it's you, know, you feel like you, the, the fans there they you know they, they live and breathe the football club so getting relegated can can impact their life obviously as a player it impacts your life you know, financially mentally as well it's you know it's a really tough time there's there's a lot of pressure when you're playing in them games when you're playing in them games, when you're down there at the bottom, you know, every every week is is a massive pressure game. So um, yeah, it's a ma- massive difference. But you know, I do love the fact that in Australia, in America, that the fans go. It's a family atmosphere. They really go to enjoy the game and support the team. So yeah. you know, I think there's positives in in, in, in both yeah. both situations, but just very uh, stark contrast as, as to the pressure in in the different leagues. Yeah, one of my players, so I'm going to change subject, Nick. One of my players in the my DA team in the uh, 2008 boys wants to ask you um, is it difficult being away from home as a young player and leaving home? And then obviously, saying that leaving home, you're, you're thousands of miles away from home now. So do you find that tough as well, being away from family? Look, it's a good question. I left, uh, obviously, I was from Leeds. I left Leeds at 16 and I moved to Sheffield. It wasn't a massive distance, but yeah. in terms of being away from family, I lived in I lived in Diggs with um, you know Phil Jagelka who's who went on to captain Everton for for ten years he's back at the club now yeah. um, but you know for me I think that really does help 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 you as a person grow you know to to learn to to fend for yourself and um, if you know it's never easy um, you know moving away from 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 your parents but again that's a sacrifice that that you need to make and for me, uh, getting the bus to Sheffield, uh, in Sheffield, getting the bus every day to train and getting the bus home, going to college, you know, all that stuff was 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 part of, you know, was part of the journey, and you know, it was probably some of the best times of, of my life. Um, you know, with being with a group of young players that were all in the same boat, they were all away from the family, and I think that's where you really create that bond. And um, you know, fortunately for me, we had two or three players from from that group that that, that made it into the first team and went on to have, have really good careers in football. So yeah, um, yeah, it's, again, talk about sacrifice. That's one sacrifice that that you have to make. Yeah. That's it, yeah, no, I was going to say, I think obviously word on the grapevine, you've got a few business interests, so obviously got some interests outside of football and outside of coaching as well, and just obviously for the kids here, that most of their careers, were, it's basically everything's geared up to the college ages, so it's kind of like they'll end around the 22, 23 age group, unless they go on to the professional level, so I suppose how important do you think that is, that you have kind of like a plan for when you, your career ends, whether that's 22, 23 here in college, or at the end that you've got other interests as you develop and you get older that you have something after the, the game ends? Yeah, look, well, uh, it's a good point. I did, I did have a business until I had to close it about two weeks ago. 
Um, but I think everyone's in, in a certain position. I love the world. Uh, you know, when I when I finish playing, I open an indoor an indoor uh, soccer soccer place um, for mainly for the smaller kids. It was like a large shed that was empty. That obviously I opened to to be an indoor soccer venue, and uh, it's been fantastic to to see the little kids in there. And you know, same as the, as the US, there's a lot of sunshine out here. Um, you know, and having the kids indoor, out of the sunshine, um, you know, and uh, and the harmful UV rays and really just getting that love for football. Um, you know, I, I did, I, you know, I created a, an, in, an indoor called the Football Grounds, which is has been running for a couple of years, but due to the uh, the coronavirus, I've unfortunately had to close the doors on it a few weeks ago. So, yeah, like like most uh, small businesses, the you know, it's a strange time yeah. in the world, and you know you guys are in the same now. You're in the lockdown situation, so it's uh, it's a time to reflect on stuff, and and, and you know really working on looking at my game model as a coach, as well as catching up with people and, and doing podcasts and stuff. So you know, I'm actually enjoying enjoying a bit of downtime for once. Yeah. And Nick, what are you doing? Just thinking this, what are you doing with your players? How are you keeping your players, your club, active and engaged and fit, and uh, keep them ticking over at this? You know, like you say this difficult time at the moment. Look, you know, as soon as we, uh, as soon as we were told that we had to, you know, uh, send everybody home, instantly we made a, we made a training program, a four-week training program, and. It wasn't too complex because I think if you give it too complex, the kids go home. They're not, you know, they're not really going to follow it. But yeah. you know, mainly it was, you know, we've done a good pre-season here. We started the season really well. Um, really, it was a case of boys that we're not sure how long you're going to be off. You know, we're going to give you this training program, and a lot of stuff is, you know, it's stuff that you can do at home. You don't need a gym. Um, you know, I was. I class myself as a little bit of old school. Um, you know, throughout my career, I used to do the press ups, the sit ups. Yeah. I think pre- you know, press ups is a, is a simple thing, but it's one of the most complete upper body exercises that you can do. You don't need any gym to do it. Um, so you know, I'd already started with the boys of of doing sets of of push ups and sit ups. And for me, if you carry on doing that, you know, you're strengthening your core, you're strengthening your upper body, um, and on top of that, doing some running and just getting the ball and, and kicking it against the wall. So uh, on top of the training program, we've had a couple of sort of Skype or Zoom uh, video conferences with them. Really just uh, see if they're okay, asking questions. Uh, I did get a guy on from a company called Performing Teams and, and, and sort of he set us some challenges and during this period, he, he asked them to, you know, to, to write down some, some of their goals for when they you know, get out of the lockdown and we get back in training. So yeah. we just try to engage them with some activities through the week to, to, to keep them active. And one bit of advice that I gave them that, that I think is very important is that is, is to have a bit of a routine. And for me, if that's getting up on the morning and doing your exercise and you know, planning your day, because I think at times like this, you know, I'm probably talking for everybody here, but every day seems to be rolling into one. You know, you, you're stuck in the house, whether you can go out or not. I don't know what it's like in the in the US, but it's getting to the stage here now where you're only allowed out in, in twos. You know, you have to keep your social distancing. So you, you still have the opportunity to go out and have a run here, um, yeah. as well as stay at home and, 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 and do what the government is saying and, and try and stop the spread of the virus. So, But for me, I do say to the boys that, you know, we can control what we give you in terms of the program and the advice, but you know, I can't control, you know, the individual players that are going to have the motivation, the mentality to to get up and do it. And I think that's where 
we're really working on the mental side of the game because right now it is a it is a mental situation where you have to get yourself in a routine you have to get yourself exercising and and making sure you're not losing your fitness because you know if you do that when you do come back and everybody's everybody's back training and playing if you've done you know if you followed the program and you've really dedicated yourself then you can come back a better person and a better player um, yeah. and and you know if you don't there'll be plenty of players out there that won't be doing anything so it's your opportunity now to really improve yourself as a as a, as a player and and, and and a person that's yeah, Nick. I think that's a, just a, an absolutely great message to end on for for the kids. I know we've took up a, a lot of your time early in the morning, probably just turning seven a.m. now for you. So uh, I think that's an absolutely wonderful and great message uh, to end on for the kids. So I just want to say thanks, thanks all for your for your time and your efforts and your words of wisdom that the kids can take and, and feed in and hopefully take something from and, and go and improve themselves and listen to the likes of yourself and everyone else that we, we've had on, on the show the last week or so that hopefully they're starting to sink in now a little bit more of what it's like to be a professional player and what it took to get there and most importantly stay there as well so thanks ever so much for your time and it's really appreciated and I know Steve's really thankful as well there's a wishes all the best as well Monty so uh... well, tell Dezo I'll catch up with him he'll be listening now I'm going to get his number and catch up with him it's been too long so. that's great <laughs> but listen guys thanks uh, I hope you all uh, stay safe take care of yourselves and, and everyone, everyone listening and the parents make sure that you encourage your kids as well because you know sometimes in times like this which no one's ever used to you know, a little bit of encouragement to your kids and throwing them outside with a ball is, is probably you know, something that you can do as well so good luck everybody and thanks for uh, thanks for listening great Monty thank you that's great cheers guys thanks Nick bye, bye.